Going Linux episode 401, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at one 904-468-7889. Today's episode is Listener Feedback. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are you? Okay. Welcome to the new year. Although we're recording this in <laughs> December, <laughs> this will be released in January. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, happy <laughs> Holidays. <laughs> so, as usual, we started with a little drama this morning. My main mission was the fans have decided to start making lots of noise. So if we didn't want everybody here, my machine sounded like a lawnmower. So we switched to my backup machine. So yay, thank you, Manjiro. So Larry, yeah. I've been working on a few a few things that uh, I think um, that are a lot of fun. So okay, tell us about them. First one is uh, I uh, went ahead and. Uh, started uh, a pledge for the Star Citizen because it's supposed to be a really great uh, multi massively multiplayer space game that's an alpha that they're building out. You can fly ships around and blow yourself up by running into planets, which I've done, I might add. But, Run into uh, a planet? I, I okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it doesn't do good when you uh, turn off the engines accidentally because uh, you don't know what you're doing and you slam into the side of a mountain on a planet. So yeah, that that's always uh, that was yeah, always a fun a way to thing. say don't turn off the engines when you're coming into the atmosphere. But uh, I've been trying with very little success. I'm still going to work on it. Try to get it to run under Linux. Um, might have to uh, do some tweaking, or I might have to. Um, don't know. We'll just it, it's trying a bunch of different stuff, but it's such it's it's still an alpha. Um, mm, I would call okay. it late alpha or very early beta. So we'll see about that. But Star Citizen's pretty uh pretty cool. Um, just hoping I can get it to run on Linux because that would be awesome. Yeah, I take it that this is not a Steam game or something like that. Oh no, no, it's not a Steam game. I have to always pick the hardest thing. This is a um, independently developed uh, game, so I, I will see how much luck I have with that. Uh, it runs uh, on uh, Windows just fine. So, but me being me, say well, I'd really like to run this game under Linux. Of course, but it's yeah. But we'll we'll see how that goes. So, you know, I think we mentioned it before we're also on Amazon Music too. So if you have uh, uh, Amazon Music, you can listen to Going Links on there. So that's yeah. always cool. And we're also now on Spotify, and we'll have the uh, link in the show notes, of course. So that's nice. something new. And what else is new is I, um, my our unofficial official mascot decided that he wanted to uh, eat my uh, headset 
debt I had, and I've had nothing but a little drama trying to get a replacement. But UPS can't seem to quite get it to me, um, and I won't go into all that. But I had to go buy a, he uh, a different headset to, for as a placeholder until I finally get a hold of the one I ordered. So I might sound a little different, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's you don't sound bad. And then while I was in there, headset, you know, I had to go over and I uh, uh, bought myself an early Christmas present. Bought an SSD too. Yeah, that's one of the risks of going into those shops. You end up buying stuff that you want know, that maybe you weren't going to buy. But uh, well, congratulations! So when we actually start recording in the new year, you'll have, in, in essence, a new machine, at least a new hard drive on your computer yeah we'll, we'll see how that goes uh apparently now i i'm why i'm at i'm gonna have to uh order a replacement for my uh fans in my alienware because it's like i said they sound like a lawnmower for all of a sudden so yeah just uh, as we started this recording it just you know <laughs> that's the way it happens right yeah it's just like why is this thing making so much noise and uh so yeah i didn't it's good. one of those things. So, anyway, I'm using the nice, quiet machine that uh, um, that I've repurposed uh, as my test machine that just happened to start up and uh, say, oh, yeah, everything works. Of course, it hadn't been updated in a little bit, so there's a few little glitches there, but we worked around them, and it seems to be working, so... Hopefully everything is um, sounding okay and will sound okay. So if not, blame it on me. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm not going to blame it on you. It sounds fine. Okay. So uh, how has your week been? Anything exciting? Any new uh, projects that you've initiated? Well, one thing that I've done since the last time we recorded a show is I've upgraded from Ubuntu Mate 20.04 to 20.10. So I am now on the latest and greatest, hottest new shiny thing, and it's running fine. A few new applications and a few new things, but it's uh, basically the same thing, and it runs it rock solid, at least on my machine. <laughs> what happened to never going for, from an LTS to a nine-month support? I've got to stay up on things, Bill. You know, I I, I write uh, articles and uh, books and things like that. I got to stay up on the new, latest, shiny. And there were some significant changes to what the what they're doing with Ubuntu Mate uh, for 2010 that is going to end up in the latest, uh, the next LTS. So I wanted to make sure I tested them out and knew what they were all about. Um, the, for example, the cheese application that's used for controlling your webcam and displaying that for, you know, showing your camera, uh, they've replaced that with webcamoid. And so okay. I wanted to make sure I saw, you know, experienced that within the context of 2010 and, you know, there are a few other things here and there that have changed. So I want to keep up on that so I can write about them in the next book. Yeah, I've uh, I've got to update this machine. I haven't uh, done the updates in 
we you you uh, didn't think it would be a great idea. Let's do a, a update. Why we're recording the show just for fun, but so when when I get off, I think I should probably um, update my Manjaro machine because apparently it might be getting a little more duty. <laughs> Considering uh, the noise maker I have uh, <laughs> of an alienware, so yeah, so yeah, so I should probably just do that uh, those updates too. But that's good. So you you're liking the um, uh, no issues with uh, Mate right now? No, no issues at all. It's uh, basically the same thing, which is what you want in an operating system: stable. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Awesome. So why don't we get into our uh, our emails? Okay, sounds good. Um, our first one is from Ken, who wrote us with an update. Hey, Larry and Bill, just a quick follow-up on Open Media Vault. I thought you may want to take a look at my build after the show inspired me. I had a Raspberry Pi and two 500-gigabyte SSDs. I purchased the case with a colored LED bling and two USB to SATA adapters. One bad thing is that Open Media Vault won't configure the USB drives in RAID due to, quote, unreliability. I plan to replace the two SSDs with one or two one terabyte hard drives, uh, HDDs, I have on hand. Ken, the small box admin. Huh. Kind of strange that you would have to replace SSDs with hard drives, but hmm, I don't use a Raspberry Pi on a regular basis, so I can't really compare with your experiences here. Yeah, I, I do. The one thing I got out of that whole email was he had to buy the one with the colored LED bling. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, I got to have the LED bling. Yep. So cool. Let's know how that works. I tell you, Ken's always tinkering with something. <laughs> yep. So our next email comes from Daniel, and he writes, Here is a topic for a future show. As far as mobile phone types, how would a iPhone work with Linux? How would an Android phone work with Linux? I am curious as this is a way each would could work with a Linux box. The reason is that after I upgraded my iPhone, the accessibility is not as it should be. There are problems with iOS 14 and how that works with VoiceOver. So I am thinking about switching to Android. So, you know, Larry, we've talked about uh, uh, something like this before. Yeah, we uh, have. Because we both... Uh, we both, uh, I, I well, I think you still do, but I have an iPhone and I also yep. have an Android. Okay. And um, uh, there is, I haven't tried it with 14. Uh, I think my um, uh, Pro Max, let me look here. Um, I think it went to 4.2, the latest version, and I haven't tried using that. Uh, usually I can just, you know, plug it into the uh, the Linux box uh, and then uh, tell it to, you know, uh, allow access and I can pull my, my folders off. It's not optimal, but it, it works okay for when I need to grab a photo off of it. The Android, I really haven't had a reason to plug it in because I, 
try not to take uh, any pictures or need any files on it. The phone I'm using is not the latest and greatest one. I'm using the 11 Pro Max, and uh, it seems mm -hmm. to work okay. Last time I plugged in, but I don't know if it still does with the latest update. Have you tried anything lately with yours? Uh, I haven't updated my phone, my iPhone, <laughs> uh, because it's provided by my employer. So I only update it when they tell me to. And they haven't told me to yet. So, um, yeah, I, I ha it's been a long time since I used an Android uh, phone. And since you have both, maybe we can use each one to do a comparison of how they work. Uh, one thing sure. I can tell you with the iPhone, uh, and it's probably a blessing, is that you do not have iTunes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you, yeah. You, can, you cannot use iTunes to do backup images of your phone uh, on a Linux machine. Um, other than that, uh, my recollection from using an Android phone and an iPhone is that they work pretty much the same way. There may be some additional features with an Android that allows you to do some things that you can't do with uh, the fully locked down iPhone operating system, iOS. But um, you should be able to at least do the same sorts of things like get your pictures off and your videos and you know, plug them in and charge them from your USB port on your computer if you wanted to do that. Um, yeah, so... Uh, idea for a future show daniel will definitely take that up yeah the one one thing i, I do want to note is because um unless you change it in the settings it uh the iphone does those live um uh, photos where you can tap and in they move and you hear people talking and stuff i usually turn that off because when i go to to get the photos i want i have to dig through all the because it's actually a little video file. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, okay, I just want the picture. I don't care about if you see my dog wagging his tail, you know, type of thing. So, Right, right before the image stabilizes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always like to turn that off. They call it, uh, I think it's live. So, you know, you, if you send a photo to an, another iPhone user, if they tap and hold the uh, photo you it actually has like some moving images and have for and so i try i always turn that off because that just one i don't care if my dog's wagging his yeah. tail i want to take a picture of him and stuff so uh, you know just be aware if you are um are able to connect and when you go there uh to your uh, folder that you have to uh, look for the one that is not the movie file and there's a whole bunch of them so yeah that's yeah. That can be a little daunting trying to dig through it, but uh, Shotwell works pretty well with trying to you know, get everything located. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And the other thing that I switch off in addition to that live view thing is I switch from the super duper high resolution pictures to just plain JPEG. Um, mainly because, I, because we're Linux users, we don't do a lot of sharing of images and things like that with, with, uh, Mac users. And so when you send a file like that to somebody who doesn't use a Mac or an iPhone, 
they go, what is this? Uh, <laughs> yeah. seem to open this up in my pictures. What, what did you just send me? It's not a photo. <laughs> yeah. I've had this like, what is this? So yeah, that's one of the first things I shut, <laughs> shut off. Um, I usually select, uh, select the highest, um, uh, yeah, like JPEG I can get out of it. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not going to be sending you, I'm not going to be sending you any raw files by any means. So, right. Exactly. Okay, well, let's move on to our next email that is from Highlander, who wrote about being creeped out after reviewing these news articles, and he's got several links. I am creeped out by what I see there. I'm against the idea that any of my biometric data will be stored anywhere, anytime. I can tell you that I would feel coerced into using such software. I do have countermeasures in mind, but the measures I'm thinking about still wouldn't really address the collection and storage of biometric data. Uh, countermeasures are, well, before I go into his countermeasures, I should probably explain that the two links that he has are uh, from Canadian sources, CTV, and one is about under the guise of keeping children in schools healthy against the coronavirus, um, the the children's cameras were always on and sending biometric data and things like that. And the schools were saying, oh, yeah, well, it's to catch online cheaters, right? But uh, the second one is um, it's software used by universities to prevent cheating suffers security breach, closes down during exams. And so similar sort of thing. So his countermeasures that he's contemplating are, in order to have me participate in something like this, even under coercive circumstances, the educational institution and the proctoring software company must agree to the following countermeasures. You must allow, one, students to run Windows 10 or other compatible operating system in a virtual machine so students can protect their personal data on their hard drives. Two, it should not matter whether the Windows 10 or other compatible operating system is activated, licensed, or not. Some students may not have the finances to afford that. They may have refurbished machines. Three, students can use their own external camera to record their own exam answers in the test if they wish. This should be important evidence the student can use if there is ever a man-in-the-middle attack that corrupts the data in the test. It's possible that the data the student types in remotely doesn't match the data received locally by the educational institution. Four, the educational institution and the proctoring company cannot fail to keep the biometric data confidential even if they receive a subpoena. Police and prosecutors have been known to abuse these legal tools. There will be no excuses permitted for these kinds of failures. Five, Retroactively and going forward from here, the educational institution and the proctoring company cannot create any contractual terms that nullify these countermeasures. Failure to comply with the conditions listed above could put the educational institution and the proctoring company at risk of legal action or, worse yet, legal mandating from federal, provincial, and municipal governments. When I was in school, I don't remember a time when the professor was staring me in the face all the time during the exam. The camera stares you in the face all the time. Something feels wrong about that. Well, uh, good luck with that. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't <laughs> know if you'll get them to agree with that, but I I understand your sentiment, and if you can get them to do that, great. Sounds like reasonable countermeasures, although you might want to, you know, to refer to them as uh, insurance of privacy or something that doesn't say that you're adversarial about proposing these ideas to the educational <laughs> institution. They It may increase your chances of uh, having them accepted. On the other hand, they may not. So he's got some good ideas in here, but some of mm-hmm. them I don't think are going to uh, fly. Like, for instance, just because uh, you're running something in a virtual machine and, it, you know, they're still going to be able to capture the data. So that, I don't know how that would be of any benefit. Um, well, I, I, as long as you don't have sharing, um, folder sharing uh, okay, on, yeah. I think you can protect the data on your host machine from being exposed in the session on the virtual machine. I think that's his main point there. The way the schools are right now, they, um, they're going to have to, I'm not saying they're doing the best they can, but, uh, you know, we're, anytime you're out, especially in, um, you know, like malls or uh, around city courthouses, they're, they're running biometric data. Uh, they're, when they have cameras, just you go to any federal courthouse in the United States, um, they they have cameras that are scanning faces and comparing it against a database. So I, I you can never get away from it. And now with everybody working from home, um, they pretty much know um, that they have to uh, have something in place. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, when people are testing for their uh, exams or they say they're working and they're not or whatever, you know, if, if you work for a company that mon- that's your computers are IT um, uh, supported, they pretty much know <laughs> when you log on, where you're logging on from and how long you're doing stuff. So, you know, that's true. Uh, I think we both work for uh, two companies that they pretty much know when you're online and what you're allowed to do with your computer and watch you like a hawk. Uh, so, right. I mean, if I try to plug in a, a USB drive to my machine, they want to know why type of deal. Yeah, alarm bells um, start going off and red yeah, lights Yeah, they start going off just because and, yeah. of... <laughs> <laughs> and you get a nasty gram saying, why are you doing this? Uh, but I see the need for us to be able to monitor exams just because we want to keep the, the, the play field level. But I'm sure there's some ways to make it uh, a little less intrusive. But biometric uh, data is not going to go away anytime soon. We, you know, and so I think what we should be concentrating on is how that date, that, that information is handled and, you know, right. the protections, you know, as whether, you know, Hey, this, you know, this is how you're allowed to handle the data and, uh, and it applies to everybody. And, you know, so yeah, I'm thinking, that might be a better way to go about this is you try to build the protections into the law. It seems like it'd be easier thing on a case by case basis because <laughs> there's so there's all these uh, different software companies that, are, that are always are coming out with stuff you know for which is new and improved. So I, I think that we should address it at more of a 
at a you know as as a law it's like you know, this is how you you have to secure it this is what you're allowed to do with it and these are the protections that people have and i don't think we really have uh, something that you know right now that i know of that will cover all those so i think we just need to make sure that we have something in place that on how this uh, information is handled because it's and with the, everything going on tonight in today's uh, world we, we definitely need to uh, see uh, have something on the books saying hey this is what you're allowed to do there's a lot of political commentary i could make on that but i'm not going to <laughs> <laughs> oh well yeah but you know nothing's perfect so we could only just you know to make changes uh through the laws that are enacted and hopefully they offer some protections right now it's like the wild wild west Yep. So our next email comes from Jim, who wrote about Ubuntu file permissions. And he writes, Larry and Bill, it's been quite a while since I have had a reason to write. I still listen regularly, enjoy, and and still learning about Linux. I've been using Point Linux for a number of years. I like it a lot. However, since the pandemic started, there have been no updates. Thus, I have been looking at other distributions. The problem I have encountered with Debian and the Ubuntu uh, family is how they assign file permissions on remote drives. They give everyone read, write, and execute permissions to all uh, the files. This to me is not a good thing from a security standpoint. What bothers me most is when I open a text file graphically, a menu uh, comes up asking me how I want to open it. I find that quite annoying. When I click on a text, I only want to read it. If I want to run it, I always do that from the command line. If I create a text file with them, they assign permissions so that only the user can access them, which is how it should be. I use three directories on my computers, root, swap, and home. When I installed Ubuntu Mate as a while back, I did not reformat my home directory, just listed it as a home when I did the install. The permissions were left how they were. A couple of years ago, I had installed Ubuntu Mate, reformatting the home directory. After I had downloaded my backed up files to the home directory, I discovered the problem with the permissions. Does anyone else have this problem? Is there a way to prevent it from happening during the install? Are there any distributions out there that do not have this problem? I prefer ones that use uh, Mate and Bash for the terminal. I have been using them since I started using Linux in 2004. Ubuntu's Feisty Fawn. I have yet to find anything else that I like more as it is easy for me to use. I have attached some screenshots so that you can see what I encounter on the command line. Thanks for doing a great show, Jim. Now in Florida. <laughs> File permissions, that's a whole show right there. <laughs> yeah. And the the main issue that Jim is facing is that when he backs up his files to, uh, I'm assuming, an external drive, and then restores them, the file permissions get messed up, 
and when he simply reinstalls and leaves the uh, home directory where it is, of course, it doesn't change the file permissions because it's not really touching that drive. So a couple of things could be causing the file permissions to change. One is if you are, it depends on how you're doing the backup and how you're doing the restore. If you're doing the backup and restore in a way that does not respect the file permissions, they're going to get reset. Uh, and one of the ways to ensure that this doesn't happen is to use rsync as your backup. Uh, a lot of backup solutions will use rsync in the background, uh, and there are sometimes some settings to uh, ensure that the file permissions don't change. So double check on your backup software if that's what you're using, that it has permissions for doing that. Otherwise, rsync, I think, is installed by default on Ubuntu Mate. I don't know about Point Linux, but uh, I do know that it is on Ubuntu Mate. And you know, read up on the rsync settings, and you can write a little script if you need to, or just use rsync from the command line to do the um, the, the backup. Uh, like I said, some of the backup solutions that are available for Linux use rsync, so you may not even have to use the command line if you prefer not to. The other thing that I have had experience with is when you back up to an external drive that is formatted NTFS, which is the Windows file system, it will every single time mess with the file permissions. So when you back it up and restore it, all the file permissions come over with access to everything. Everybody has access to everything and all the files are marked executable. You know, you might comment that that's kind of the way Windows operates. And so <laughs> it's not surprising that yes. their file format would do that. But it's not what you want on a Linux system. So what I have done is I have reformatted the backup drive that I use from NTFS to ext4. And I know that ext4 respects the permissions, and when I restore from there, it uh, restores the file permissions. Um, when using the NTFS drive, even using rsync to backup and restore does not uh, respect the, uh, the file permissions. It's the formatting of the hard drive that causes the problem. So those are a couple things to look at. There may be some others. So if there's anyone in our Minion audience, if you know uh, some other possibilities here for Jim, write in. Uh, send us a voicemail, whatever. Uh, just get us the information and we'll relay that to Jim and talk about it on the show. So I didn't know that if you went to with uh, had the NTFS on it, it would change permissions. That's kind of weird. Huh. I learned something new today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, weird or not, it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... So I, I got an idea that, you know, you use an NTFS because of the compatibility, especially if you have, you're backing up machines for like with Windows or whatever like that. Right. But and uh, that is indeed why I had formatted that backup drive as NTFS. But it's been a long time since I shared any files from there with any sort of Windows machine. So I thought, hey, 
I can fix this. <laughs> so I reformat. Yeah. And and after you reformat it, you don't have that issue anymore. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I learned something new today. Yeah. I, I In fact, I back up with uh, rsync and I selectively restore by drag and drop. So I just access oh, okay. the remote drive and drag them into the home directory and leave behind any stuff that I don't use anymore. And that seems to work just fine. Awesome. Yep. Okay. So our next email is from Raphael. Uh, Raphael. Um, and Raphael asks about Spotify. Hey, guys. Why is this show not available on Spotify? Cheers, Raphael. Uh, nice short email. And we fixed that. <laughs> it's available on Spotify. We have the link in the show notes. Did you have to do something? Because I could never figure out how to get the show added or did it just appear? Uh, it, um, no, it didn't just appear. I went in and I submitted it to Spotify. And a few, a, a year or so ago, whenever Spotify first started talking about uh, accepting podcasts in there, I went to Spotify to try to figure out how to do it. And it was a very complex pro process or the, ah. the instructions were not, very clear. This last time when I went in there, they had actually made it very, very simple. So I did it, and there we are on Spotify. Oh, okay. Well, because I can never figure it out, but it's been a while since I've tried. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they fixed it. Our next email comes from James, who wrote about using Bluetooth speakers with also instead of Pulse Audio. He writes, hello, this Maybe a tough question, and I understand if you or your listeners could not find the answer either. For background on my system, I use 32-bit Debian uh, 10 variant called Duvan. Duvan? Is that it? Duv? Duvan? Dev, Dev1. Devon. Okay. On my uh, Lenovo ThinkPad T500 and should not go into reasons why I'm not using the 64-bit. I am trying to play music from my laptop to a Bluetooth speaker, but I am unable to. I checked the Bluetooth speaker, uh, and it is seen by my laptop. From what I am able to find out on my own, I will not be able to play music to any Bluetooth speaker unless I have Pulse Audio. However, I really enjoy Elsa. I am kind of surprised since Pulse Audio is merely the interface engine between applications and Elsa. I have Bluetooth, Blue Z, Blue Who, Bluetooth Manager, and Bluetooth firmware installed as well as Blue Elsa. Does anyone know of a way to have Debian or Ubuntu play music to Bluetooth speakers using also. Thanks in advance, James from Indiana. Uh, no. Yeah, there's a lot of um, tying your hands behind your back going on here. So as far as 32-bit versus 64-bit, I'm not sure that that has a, an, an impact on your speaker issue you're playing music issue over bluetooth speakers um hmm. not that i'm aware of anyway so that may not be an issue uh, although you probably want to see if whatever your reason for using 32-bit can be 
eliminated because eventually 32-bit will go away and you will not have support uh, for 32-bit on uh, a lot of distributions. Um, Ubuntu Mate has already uh, stopped, or, and I think Ubuntu in general has stopped creating 32-bit images of their ISOs. Not that you can't uh, rebuild and reconfigure for a 32-bit system, but that's a lot of work if you're just a casual Linux user. Uh, getting back to your issue on Bluetooth speakers with Alsa, uh, one of the reasons Pulse Audio exists is because the ability to route audio signals and uh, audio signals in particular uh, in Linux um, under ALSA was not as robust as it needed to be. And so Pulse Audio was created in order to be able to do that. And it's got a lot of features and it's got a lot of advances since it was originally uh, released. And if you've been using Linux for a while, you know that when Pulse Audio was first introduced, it did have some issues, and those have been solved, as far as I know, uh, for quite a long time. And so it works just fine now. So if your reasons for not using Pulse Audio were simply because it was breaking things, you might try it again. However, um, the also connection to Bluetooth... I don't have any experience with that. I don't know that Alsa doesn't pick up Bluetooth audio. Uh, I don't know that it does, so you could be right. So I'm going to have to turn this one over to Armenians as well and ask you if you have any suggestions for James. Um, and I, you know, uh, other than using Alsa, I'm not sure what you can do. It sounds like you've tried just about all of the Bluetooth solutions out there. Is there something for Alsa that allows it to connect to Bluetooth in a better way? Uh, I know he says he's using something called Blue Alsa. I'm assuming that that is something that does that, but maybe it's not working for him. And with the ThinkPad T500, I'm thinking that's probably not a hardware issue either unless there's something wrong, maybe with your Bluetooth hardware. Anyway, that, let's turn it over to the Minions. I really can't help other than the suggestions I've already made. So Minions attack this problem. See if you can figure it out, because I have no clue. I, the only thing I could th maybe just think about, and it's not even a technical solution, is that maybe Pulse Audio does some magic to, to allow um, Bluetooth to work. Yeah. I never tried connecting my machine to a Bluetooth speaker, so. Ah, uh, okay. I have, but I'm always using Pulse Audio, so I don't know. I don't see any problems. Okay, works fine. Every single okay. time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just uh, pair up the device and use it. That's it. It yeah. plays. Yeah, it okay. plays. It plays. Okay. So unleash the minions. Okay, our next email is from Liz, who wrote with a lot of feedback. So we'll kind of split this up a little bit. Liz commented on episode 396. PDFs are not just pictures of documents. They actually contain text. I'd whore the picture kind, but the text PDFs are okay. 
but yeah, it's proprietary and all your manuals online are PDF. I've always used Corel for photos and drawing my art, but with the demise of Windows XP, I had to switch to Linux with AVM. I've never felt comfortable using Linux editing apps, but maybe with Manjaro and some practice, I can get fully transitioned to Linux, but I have thousands of dollars in software for Windows XP. Then she followed up, she says, oops, you did mention image formats, but in the later half of the show, there's a load more of of image formats, older, outmoded stuff. I have only used JPEG, PNG, and TIFF. I have never used RAW on my camera. I forgot TIFF. That's what scanners usually save in, but since my printer died, I just usually take a picture anymore with my phone. <laughs> External devices. I have had I have been having issues with Linux, Liz. We are episode three ninety four. Nice hearing a review on Manjaro. I've been programming for years but on Windows XP system. Since the advent of Windows ten, ah, tried Ubuntu used Mint, and just too minty. This actually broke once with a kernel update. Then I was disappointed with the lack of apps and drivers, Logitech, Trackball, and Joystick that I wanted. Some even didn't work right in Mint. I looked at Arch and feel, as your show says, a bit too bleeding edge and geeky. I'm a programmer, but hate fixing the OS every time it breaks. I really like their documentation, though. I've heard of Manjaro and have been keeping an eye on it on DistroWatch. I've been looking at XFCE version, something lean and mean for programming. I like a GUI, but can function well at a command line. This OS, last I checked, is number two rated on DistroWatch. But I've noticed the trend to lock BIOS on Windows 10. The last I heard on Late Night Linux number 93 is that they are working on making it so you cannot install another OS on a computer. They are going to do away with BIOS. Unfortunately, lots of changes this year. Linux podcasts are disappearing. Corona cootie craziness. Snaps, flat packs, images. Still a bit behind on this tech. Maybe I'll get another laptop this Christmas. Something that lasts longer than eight months, like the Walmart junk, much of which has that locked BIOS. You can install Linux, but you have to select it each time you boot at the Windows bootloader. Liz, I tried to respond to Liz on email, and unfortunately, the email came back as undeliverable. So I am just going to read my response here on the show. And I also have updated one of the articles that's on the Going Linux website. It's the one entitled The Advantages of Computer Hardware Designed for Linux. And I've included some of what I'm about to read in this email in that article. So here we go. And sorry, we couldn't actually send this to you, Liz. I'm not sure what's going on with, with the email. I wrote, hi, Liz, thanks for your recent flurry of feedback. We really appreciate it. Bill and I commented on most of the topics you mentioned during our listener feedback episode. I did, however, want to answer your question about what computer to buy based on my experience. 
I have considered the cheap Walmart computers as well, but I always opt for something with a little more value for money to ensure that I get years of use from them. I am currently using an HP laptop that is more than 10 years old as a server running Ubuntu Mate. At this point, I would rather purchase a refurbished or even used unrefurbished computer than one from Walmart. I found that even the HP, Acer, and Asus brands sold there tend to be low-end versions of what is offered elsewhere. I have installed Linux on HP, Acer, Dell, ThinkPad, both old IBM and more current Lenovo versions, and Packard Bell computers. I have purchased computers with Linux pre-installed from System76 and from Dell. Here are my recommendations on what to consider and why. The final decision is up to you and your budget. Number one, if you want a laptop guaranteed to run Linux, purchase a computer with Linux pre-installed. You can get these from System76, Dell, or Linux certified and other places. Prices will vary by model and the quality of the hardware will vary as well. Two, if you want to broaden your price range and get the best performance at the highest quality that is guaranteed to run Linux, look at the Ubuntu certified hardware list or similar published lists. You can purchase as new the specified models listed, or you can look for similar models using the same components on the used or refurbished market and install Linux yourself. Three, if you are purchasing a new or used computer that is not pre-installed or certified to run Linux, look first for computers with Intel processors, graphics cards, and network components. And that's mainly because the Intel brand of those components tend to work best with Linux. If you choose models that have non-Intel components, do an internet search for your specific model and the words Linux, Ubuntu, and Manjaro. Look for reviews and posts from people troubleshooting issues. If it looks like the model or one of its components has difficulty running Linux, make another choice. Four, if you are looking for general advice on what used or refurbished models are available in North America and which ones are most Linux-friendly, then System76, the ThinkPad T-Series, Dell XPS, and Dell Precision are your best bets. But check out the reviews and support posts before buying any of those. So those are the four recommendations, probably in order from one to four. Uh, but, you know, like I said, it's uh, decision is up to you and what your budget is. Of course, if you buy an XPS uh, computer from Dell, you're going to be spending much more than you're going to spend on something from System76. Or if you buy the Precision line from Dell, you'd be spending a little bit less. But there are plenty of computers out there from the list that I've just provided. Lots of links in the show notes. And all of that is going to be able to help you out, I'm sure. That's a solid list there, Larry. That's some good recommendations. Okay, thanks. And uh, that's it for our list of emails and uh, listener feedback for today, Bill. I think uh, right. we've we've covered quite a bit. Yep. In our next episode, if we get it written and recorded, would be streaming and online services that will work with Linux. We still planning on doing that, Bill? 
We are. Okay, that's good. So hopefully that'll be our next episode. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinks.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.